You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Who here remembers going to playgrounds as a kid, not as an adult watching kids, but going to the playground? I love the playground. As a kid, I mean, I love the monkey bars. Anybody remember the monkey bars, you know, and the uneven bars? Uh, you know, and all the other bars, right? And remember the merry-go-round that you, like, tried to kill people with, you know? How fast can you run? And if you can flip people off, you're, you know, like on the, off the ride, that is. That is, clarify, flip people off the ride. Uh, but remember those days, man, that was just so much fun. And then, and then all of a sudden, the, the playground in the fast food restaurant, it, you know, came out. And, man, my kids used to love McDonald's Playground. They would choose McDonald's over a nice restaurant, over better food, because it had the playground, right? There's, man, this is so awesome, and going to the playground, and, and, and when I, I tried to play in the playground as a big kid, but there comes a point where you just can't fit in the tube anymore, right? You just can't fit in the tube, and, and it's the tragedy of growing up, right? So there's like, there's two parts to this. When, when a kid's eight years old, they can't wait till they're 18, you know, I can't wait till I'm older. I can stay up later. I can watch, you know, rated R movies. And, you know, I can go places and do things. I can drive and all these kind of things. Man, when I get old, and then all of a sudden you turn 18, you're like, man, I wish I was eight again. Right? Because you see in the horizon <laughs> bills and responsibility. And you're like, man, I wish I could go back to being eight again. To just waking up, getting food put in front of me, not having to work, and just... Watching Disney all day, you know, it's just great, man, good times. See, it's the challenge of growing up, wanting to grow, and then the challenge of growing when you see what it's going to take for you to grow. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the Corinthian church, particularly in this chapter today. Uh, This is a church that was not growing up. It was a church that was like you and me, has the Spirit of God in them and working in them, but yet still not growing up. See, last week we talked about how spiritual maturity is, and today Paul's going to talk about how to actually be spiritually mature, how to grow up. And if you're not growing up, there's something something really unhealthy and something not right. And like the Corinthian church, many of you are born again. You have the Spirit of God in you, but you still are not growing up. So here's what we've learned so far in 1 Corinthians. We're learning that church is, is not a program. It's about people. And because church is about people, well, church gets messy because people are messy. And so churches are messy because what we bring together is a bunch of messy lives. We bring our collective baggage together. And some of you have a lot of carry-ons. And, and we come together with this collective mess. And we're trying to be this church that God wants to use. But as a result, because we're messy people, uh, we've got a messy church. And thank God for messy grace. And that's what Paul is dealing with. He's saying, you're a church that is messy, but thank God that the grace of God is bigger than all of our carry-on messes. He says there's three types of people. Three types of people. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he says the first person is this. He says it's people who don't know Jesus. There are people that he said last week are spiritually blind. And in the week before, he says these are the people that look at the gospel and they see it as foolish. Their eyes are blind. They're in spiritual darkness. They cannot see. 
People that do not know Jesus. And then the second type of person he mentions in chapter 1 and 2 are the people that know Jesus. People that have surrendered their life to the work and to the lordship of Jesus Christ, walking in obedience to what God has called us, using the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit to guide us, those that know Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he talks about a third type of person. Let's take a look at it in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, now this is important because the entire book of Corinthians is written to Christians. It's written to believers. It's written to people, he says, brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? So he says, dear believers, dear brothers, dear sisters in Christ, he says, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritually or to spiritual people. That's spiritually mature people. He said, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. That means immature people. And it said, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and this is the sad part, and still you aren't ready. He said, man, some Christians are mature and growing, and then some are immature and should know better and are not growing. And this is the third type of person. There is people that know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus, and people that know Jesus but don't always act like it. And that's where some of you are today. That's where some of us are today. It's possible to be a Christian and still struggle to look like a Christian sometimes. He says, man, I, I would love to talk to you about deeper things, but I can't. Now, here's the, here's the sad part is that this church was five years old. So he's talking to people that had at this point now been Christians for five years. Now, when he, he says, when I came to you, you were just meeting Jesus, and, and I had to give you milk. I had to give you basics. I had to keep it simple because you were just an infant. He says, but now, five years later, you're still like a baby, and you should be growing some. You should be beyond what happened five years ago. You should be growing. See, like infants, Christians that never grow up, Tell us if something's wrong. Look at these picture of babies. I love babies. Who, does, who, who loves babies? We got babies in service sometimes, and I just love babies. I love children. You know, you know why I love babies and children? Because they're not jaded by life. They don't have, like, heartbreaking, terrible experiences that make them distrusting and angry and, and defiant, you know, of relationships. They're just, yeah, they're a little defiant because they're children, but, man, but they're innocent. There's, there's like, this, this purity about them, and I just think it's so beautiful, and I love it. But then it's time to grow up, and sometimes babies are cute when they're little, but when we still look like babies after we grow up, show this next picture. It's not so cute. <laughs> if we still are acting and looking like babies as a grown-up, it's just gross. <laughs> it's, not, it's not cute at all. <laughs> One of them's cute. I was going to say that. You know... If you're still doing what a baby does at 25, you're not cute anymore. You know, as a baby, they're like, you know, uh, they're, they're always like, feed me, entertain me, 
bathe me, clothe me, take care of me, make me laugh, make me happy, stop me from crying. But if you're 25 and you're still doing all that, you're just an annoying person. It's time to grow up. If you're 45, it's even worse. If you're 50, it's even worse. Paul says it's time to grow up and move beyond infancy. How do you know? This is a question, though. How do you know if someone's an immature Christian or not a Christian? Because that's, you know, how do you know if someone is, is a Christian but just struggling in their walk with God or not a Christian? Well, here's, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus and 1 Corinthians, the rest of the whole letter deals with this, is if Someone is a Christian, if they respond and receive correction and the encouragement, you'll see them grow. It shows that they are growing and that they are a Christian. But after repeatedly talking to them and encouraging them and giving them correction, if they repeatedly say no to that challenging growth, maybe they're not a Christian. Matthew 18 tells us this little guideline. Jesus says that go to them multiple times alone with another person with, with a spiritual authority last. And if they still don't respond, he says, then treat them like they're lost. Okay, because maybe they just need Jesus. Maybe they just need salvation altogether. So the challenge is, are you going to receive this today? Are you going to say no to possibly some spiritual correction by the Apostle Paul today? This is a really good challenge for us today to see if we're going to grow. What is spiritual growth? Well, let's take a look at it for a second. Spiritual growth doesn't, first of all, happen overnight, but it happens over time. It takes time to grow in relationship with God. Let me put it this way. When I first started uh, getting to know Nicole, you know, we, we were friends for six years, um, and then we, we actually dated out of those six for five years, and uh, we, we got it right last night. We, were, we had a wrong anniversary for the last year. We're going to be 27 years this November. Wow. I was like, that's crazy, right? It is for us, you know. And, but, you know, when we first started dating, man, our hands were all nasty and sweaty, you know. We're stumbling through words. Oh, you know, you don't know how to talk. You're running out. Conversation is a struggle, you know. You're just awkward. You know, remember those young relationships that you had? Maybe your first boyfriend or girlfriend or, or the husband that you have or the wife that you have now. And when you first met, just how awkward it was at times. But you grew into a relationship. You grew into more of a comfort, more of an intimacy. And, you know, growing with God uh, takes time. And here's another thing, however, that even though it takes time, spiritual growth takes time, time does not equal spiritual growth. Just because some of you have been in church since you were a kid, said, you know, a prayer when you were eight, or went to youth camp as a teen or young life, um, time does not equal maturity or spiritual health. I have known some pretty immature, lifelong Christians. Some of you here, you've been in church a lot, but your diapers, man, they stink so bad. And I've known a lot of believers that have grown up in church, and they're not babies anymore, but they're acting like babies, and they still get, they, they, they have a stench around them. Here's another thing, is that spiritual growth is not a feeling. It's not based upon a feeling but it's based upon faithfulness. It's, it's about consistency and intentionality. You see, we don't come to church when we feel like it. We come to church because that's what spiritual growth is about, 
consistency and intentionality. We don't pray when we feel like it. We pray because our spiritual growth says it's time to be consistent and intentional about something. You know, we don't serve because we have to or because I'm feeling it, but we serve because it is something that is consistently we are called to do and intentionally we must commit to do. That is what spiritual maturity is. I think of the Old Testament prophets who heard and talked and met with God. And some of you are like, boy, I wish I could be like those Old Testament prophets. Man, I'd really be on fire for God if I was like those guys. Listen, some of those guys, they only heard God's voice a couple times in their whole life. They didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have to talk to him every day. They only talked to God once or twice in their whole life. Sometimes they went years and decades with a word from God. And some of you guys can't make it a week from Sunday to Sunday with the word of God that God gave you last week. It's time to mature. It's time to grow up. Spiritual growth is also uh, is not spiritual gifts. We're going to find out this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. This was a church. This is the only letter in the New Testament that talks about the miracle signs and wonders in a church. I mean, they were prophetic and signs and wonders and healing and, and, and interpretation of tongues and all these kind of mystical, fantastical, miraculous Holy Spirit gifts. But he starts off this letter saying, man, you guys are still a bunch of babies. It's not the spiritual gifts that make you mature. And here's the next thing. He says, spiritual growth is not about knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 8 9, he later on, he says, all that knowledge does is make you arrogant, makes you puffed up. So spiritual growth is not spiritual gifts. It's not knowledge. It's not time. It's not tenure. It's not feelings. It's not sensations. It's consistency, intentionality, and time. So let's take a look at what he says. He gives three indicators. Now, I have here a growth chart. <laughs> this is the infamous growth chart I've mentioned before in the past. This was on our garage door. This was on a garage wall until last night. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you like that. That's exactly how I felt. I took it off. I'm a pretty sentimental person. I'm like, I'm taking it off going, <laughs> you know, and on the back, it's, you know, we, we printed it up in separate pages. We colored it, and then we taped it together, and it's got Winnie the Pooh tape on the back. So it's like, this man's special. This is special. So you're looking at this, and we, we put this up when, when uh, Summer was five, I think Noel was seven, and it has their handwriting, you know, their, their, their five-year-old writing. And, like, here's uh, Summer Noel, and, and, oh, well, here's Noel. It was before, but this is Summer 06, Noel 06, Summer 09, uh, Noel 09. Up here, this is the latest, and the last entry is uh, Summer, August 10, 2014, age 13. So this is, this is uh, our physical growth chart. Anybody here have one like this at their house? Maybe a doorpost or anything like this? No? Yeah, some of you guys do. Okay. This is one you, you want to, if you start having kids, this, I'm going to save this forever. I'll tell you. Put this in my casket. All right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, it's easy to monitor physical growth because we can see it. You know, you're like, man, I could, I could see, you know, this is, this is five-year-old, you know, summer, and, and then 
this was 13-year-old Summer, and, and now, you know, Noel's as tall as me, and Summer's close behind, and it's easy to monitor. And you're like, I wish there was a way that we could gauge and measure spiritual growth. Wouldn't that be great? If we could just, man, what's the rule for spiritual growth? I wish there was one. Well, Paul says, well, guess what? There is one, and he's going to give it to us. He gives us three markers or indicators that we are growing up in God. So if you're a Christian, I want you to take the three things we're going to talk about today, stand up on the wall, and see how you're growing, all right? Now, if you're a new Christian, this is for you too. This is going to show that you are growing. All right, And if you've been a Christian for a long time, this will show today if you are growing like you should be growing. Okay, So let's dive in to what he says next and see what Paul says are indicators of spiritual growth. This is what he says. First of all, he starts off by saying, why do I have to keep telling you the same thing again and again. Why can't you just live and do and walk out what you're taught? This is the first indicator of spiritual growth. You walk in what you know. He says, man, I've been giving you the same thing for the last five years. When are you going to live it? When are you going to walk it? This is called obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll walk with me. You'll, you'll listen to me. You know, some of you, you want more of God. Man, you want more knowledge. You want more experience. You want more of the Spirit. You want more, you know, understanding. And and, and God says, why aren't you just doing what I've told you to do to begin with? Start with what you know. Do what you know. Because if you're over here going, I just want more of this and more of this and more of this. But you're not doing what you already know. You are a baby. You're spiritually immature. Paul says, walk out what you know. Remember, spiritual maturity and growth is not knowledge. It's not spiritual gifts. It's not tenure. It is, Paul says, obedience. Walking out and living out what you know. So he goes, well, I don't know a lot. We'll walk out what you know. I don't know a lot about the Bible. We'll walk out what you know. I don't know as many verses as this person. I, I don't know, you know, uh, I, I can't read the Bible very well. And, and, you know, I'm not maybe doing things as good as somebody else. Well, walk out what you know. Obey what you know. That is a sign that you are growing up. That is a sign. If you could stand on a chart, that tells you you're growing. Walk out what you know. In fact, Jesus said in, in Luke 6, 46 and 47, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Powerful verse. Why do you call me Lord, Jesus says, if you're not doing what I say? Paul says, hey, that's some of you. You know, I meet with people to counsel them or to meet with them, encourage them. And, and sometimes I say this. I say, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. And I'll tell it to them. Or I'll say something, and they'll say to me, well, I know what I need to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. Some of you have said that to me. I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, be mature. Do it. Just do it. You know what you need to do at home. Be mature. Do it. You know what you need to do with that relationship, with that person, with that guy, with that girl at work. You know what you need to do with your children. You know what you're supposed to do. Walk in what you know. Be mature. Do it. Paul says, grow up. 
It's time to stop being a little baby. This is what he says. Here's another in 1 Corinthians 3, 3. He says, he says, for some of you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Some of you Christians, you're still very selfish and, and, and led by the flesh. He says, you're jealous of one another and you quarrel. You like to fight with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature, that you're controlled by the flesh, that you're still very selfish and, and tend to, to, to follow your own desires? He says, aren't you living like people of the world? He says, some of you, there's no difference in the way that you act, in the way that you treat people. Here's the second and probably the most important primary, the number one indicator that you are growing up is that you get along with others. This is love. How do you love people? How well, this is the, more importantly, how well do you get along with the people who are closest to you? Because you can be nice to a stranger. You can be nice. You can give out the sandwich out your window and then roll up the window and yell at your kids. You know? You can be nice to that person and let them cut in or get in front. But you are, you know, you think you're mature, but your jerkiness denies it. How well are you getting along and loving the people that are closest to you? Paul says there's two gauges of an unhealthy spirit. He says jealousy and arguing. Think about this. This is insecurity and pride. Because insecurity breeds jealousy. Insecurity is I can't see anybody but me and what I don't have. And because I don't have what you have, I'm jealous. And why am I not growing like that or have a marriage like that or have a car like that or a house like that? I have a job like that. How come I'm not who, you know, like them? That's jealousy. Man, that's just a sign of immaturity. That's a sign that you're still a baby because you don't know who you are in Jesus and you don't know what you have in God. And so it breeds that jealousy, that insecurity. If you struggle with insecurity, that's, a, that's a, an indicator, that's a gauge of spiritual unhealthiness. And then he says, you like to quarrel. That's, that's pride. You always got to be right. You always got to have the last word. Or you, you always have to tell people how you feel about things and make sure that they listen and you're going to make them try to agree. See, they were dealing with that in Corinth, and some of you still deal with it today. You're argumentative. You like to stir the pot. You have to be right. How do you get along with the people closest to you? Are you, in, are you insecure of them? Do you like to argue? Are you constantly bickering with them? This is the number one indicator. Spiritual maturity is most clearly seen not in what we know, but in how we treat others. This is the next one, 1 Corinthians Chapter uh, 3, verse 4, he says, When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a follower of Apollos, aren't you acting like people of the world? He says, man, I'm team Paul. I'm team Apollos. In chapter 1, he says, I'm team Peter. Who is Apollos? Apollos is the pastor that took over the church after Paul left. So Paul planted this church, lived with them a year and a half, and then after he left, a guy who was a new believer and based on his name, probably born and raised in Corinth, because one of the, the second largest temple in Corinth was the temple to Apollo. 
And so he's named after a, a god, a, a false deity. That's his name. He becomes a Christian. Now he's leading the church, and he's known to have a reputation for getting deep, for really understanding God's word and discipleship. And so people are like, man, I'm team Paul, man. I like the founder better. I like the old guy better. Some people, I like the new guy better. I like the old building better. I like the new building better. I like the old songs better. I like the newer songs better. I like the old seats. I like the new seats. I like the way that the place was run before. I like the old ministry. I like the newer ministry. And there's this constant arguing over who and what is the best. And he says, man, you're acting just like the world. He says, are you not having the same attitude as the world? Verse 5, after all, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? We're only servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us, everybody say each of us. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. This is the third indicator. The first indicator is obedience. The second indicator is love. The third indicator is mission. And here's the question. And this is the answer. is You embrace the role you play in the kingdom. When you embrace the mission that God has given you, that's a sign that you're growing. You know, we don't want you to serve in church because we just have needs which we do. We have needs in kids' church. We have needs in our youth ministry and in our small group and, and in our greeting ministry. We have needs in our church to serve the church and the community, but we don't want you to sign up and serve because we have needs. We want you to sign up and serve because it's a sign of spiritual growth and maturity. It's a sign that you're growing up because you're moving beyond about me and about others. See, notice the eyes. It says, I like Paul better. I like Apollos better. In chapter 1 and 2, he says, I like Peter better, and I like this better, and I like this. You know what? The eyes are very selfish. Some make church about themselves. Some of you, unfortunately, make church about yourself. Well, I wish we did this. I wish our kids' church was like this. I wish our band was like this. I wish we had lights like this. And I wish things were different like this. And so you leave. That's like, that's like disowning your family because the neighbor has a bigger television set. You're committed to your family. You love that family. You're growing with that family. But just because the neighbor has a 65-inch over your 47-inch is no reason to leave your family because they don't give you what you want. That is a sign of immaturity. But the church is filled with babies who make church about themselves. You know, this is what I love about our seniors in our church. You think our seniors love our worship all the time? They don't. But you know why they're still here? Because they love you. And they want to be a part of your life. And they want to be a part of what God is doing in our life and in our church. That's a sign of their growth in God. You know, i got to be honest with you. I do have, a, you know, an advantage over you guys. I'm the pastor of the church, so I kind of have a say in the music. I kind of have a say in, in the style or even some of the songs and how things are going to be to an extent. You know, I give freedom to our ministry leaders to, to shape our church ministry, but I do have a say. Now, if I was in your seat and I was growing with you and I was connected with you and I was just growing from the word and just loved the family here, and our church decided to switch our music to polka music. 
you know. That's an accordion. So you're like, yes. You know. I would still be here because you're my family. And we're growing together. And it's not about what I want. If that's reaching people, and that's the mission of what we are supposed to be doing, then I'm a part of this. You have a role to play. And when you understand, this is a sign of maturity. You embrace your role. He says, each of us did what the Lord gave us. Maturity embraces this. Paul says, verse 6, I planted the seed in your hearts. I planted the church and introduced you to Jesus. And he says, Apollos, man, he waters it. He feeds you the word now. But it is God who makes it grow. He says, it's really about Jesus anyhow. It's about God. God uses people to mature us and to grow us. I think back at the Pauls and the Apollos in my life. Who are your Pauls and Apollos? I think back at my grandma who, who gave me that, that gospel track when I was a kid, who took me to church as a little kid. And I look back to that friend of mine when I was 13 years old who while we were riding bikes was talking to me about Jesus and I remember walking the aisle and I remember Pastor Lee Lebsack when I was 13 years old when I said yes to Jesus and then got plugged into our youth group and Pastor Ron Hubbard the youth pastor began to walk with me and disciple me began to grow and mature me and I remember how I moved here and how God began to use and shape me and how that youth pastor stuck his finger out at me on a Wednesday night and said Ted it's time to grow up and Pastor Gary Marone began to disciple me and mature me and challenge me and grow me. And then after him, a guy named Pastor Ken Eichler took me under his wings and sat with me and talked to me and ministered to me. And how after him, Pastor Mike Alexander met with me weekly with a group of people and discipled me. And I felt like a disciple of Jesus. And how God used these Pauls and Apollos and family and friend to speak to me. And none of them is greater than Jesus. They're just servants. They're just people that God used in my life to bring me closer to him. So why make a celebrity out of the people? Why belittle Jesus and make it about a person? Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. He says, he's saying that it's, what's most important is this. That God makes the seed grow. This is what it's about. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit. Maybe you guys have heard of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not called the fruit of Ted. It's not called the fruit of my work, the fruit of my commitment, the fruit of my discipline. It's not the fruit of my, you know, tenacity and my consistency. It's not the fruit of my efforts. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that produces the fruit in me. God uses people to plant seed, to water seed, and like you, to plant seed. Maybe I'm planting seed today. Maybe I'm watering seed today. But ultimately, it's God that will grow you. I'm just a broken vessel. I'm just a servant. He says the one who plants, verse 8, and the one who waters work together. Even though they were never on staff at the same time together, they work together. And the same, we work together and we have the same purpose, he says. That's the same mission. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. 
And there's a reward awaiting us who embrace the mission that God has given us. And that's you and too. Walking in God's mission, embracing the role that we play is a sign of maturity, but it also brings a reward in the next life. I'll tell you what, you know, life here is pretty nasty sometimes. It's pretty hard sometimes. But I thank God that I have a reward in heaven who's Jesus. And I thank God also that the benefit of knowing this Savior that I love comes with it reward and blessing that I may not get in this life. Some of you, you serve and you, you give of your life to ministry and to other people for a reward you'll never receive in this life. But you will receive a reward for it. He says, verse 9, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field and you are God's building. He says, man, he said, we're just the workers. We're just the farmers. We're just the construction guys. You know, think about a field, you know. We're just the guys plowing the field like a farmer. You know, a guy hammering nails and putting together foundations. That's all we are. We're just workers. You're the building. You're the field. He says, and by the grace God has given me, that word grace there is a reference to the gifts of the spirit that God has given him in ministry and leadership. We'll talk about that in chapter uh, 12. He says, I, by, the, by this grace that God has given me, this gifting, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. We all have a part to play. Look at this next part. Each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. It's not about a step to gifts, a step to, to, to more knowledge or understanding. It's a step and a foundation built, moving us closer and stronger to Jesus. Now, notice the each one should build. Each of you. Remember, this is an indication of maturity. Man, I wish we had a gauge to, to see if I'm growing. There is one. Are you walking in what you know? Are you getting along with others? And have you embraced your role in the kingdom of God? And Paul says specifically in the local church, uh, later on he talks about this in, in uh, chapters uh, 9 and 10. So Paul says this, find your role. Some of you have a lot to say about church and what you want out of church and out of this church, but you're not stepping into the role that God has called you to to see it and to make it happen. Paul says, check yourself and ask yourself, are you obeying what you already know? How's your love with those closest to you? And is church about you or about what you want? The next part is really interesting. Let's take a look at this. This is what he says, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus, you know, serves and works in the kingdom, embraces this role. If anyone builds on this kingdom using gold, silver, and costly stones, that's things that, are, that last. Or wood, hay, or straw, that's things that don't last. He says their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's the day that we all face God. Every one of you will have a day to face Jesus. He says because the day that we face God will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. This is pretty interesting. The fire is not 
is not hell. This is a symbolic bonfire that happens on the day of Jesus. When Jesus comes or when you stand before God, there's a symbolic bonfire. And everything we've ever done in the name of Jesus will be thrown in that fire. And if it can withstand the flames of that test, you will be rewarded. Think about this. Christians will be judged by our actions and our motives. We will not be judged by the quantity of our work, but by the quality of our work. And God will test the building's work and the workers. Look at verse 14. If what has been built survives, that fire test, that that bonfire, the builder will receive a reward. And if it is burned up, that means if what you did in the name of God was for selfish reasons, or not really for God, but for yourself, he says, well... The builder will suffer loss, but yet still be saved. This is not about salvation. This is about reward. He says, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Write this down. Actually, circle it. It's in your notes. When our work is tested before the Lord, we will be rewarded according to what remains. I think of this. It's sobering to think that many who are serving the Lord are really serving themselves. Some of you are serving God because you want a position, because you want a title, or because you want the accolades, or you want to feel good about yourself. You know, I I have this picture of myself, and and I'm going to stand before Jesus, and God's like, all right, bring it in. Where's your stuff? And I'm like, all right, bring it in. Bring it in, guys. Beep, 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 beep. All right, it's a big dump truck full of all the things I did for Jesus, right? And some of you are like, man, I did a lot, man. I, ever since I was a kid, I did mission trips, did travel, man, served, woke up early, made the coffee, whatever, just pour it on, beep, beep, keep it going, keep it going. And then all of a sudden, in the flames of that bonfire, when it's all done, I'm like, oh, okay, well, uh, here, Jesus, This is all that survived the test. This is, he says, there's some stuff that is, you know, gold and silver and precious stones. And then there's stuff that we do that is straw and hay and wood and sticks. He says, the stuff that is impure motives and selfishly, you know, uh, driven, it's all going to burn up. But what survives the fire, you'll be rewarded for. And even if it doesn't survive the fire, well, you're still saved. You know, you escape the flames of hell and this fire of judgment, but your reward is less. And that's a sobering thought, really. In his second letter to Corinth, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. You see, All of us will face Jesus and give an account for our life. Every person in this room. If you're an unbeliever, you will give an account for your sin. And apart from Jesus, you will have to pay for that. But if you are a believer, the Bible says you will have to give an account for your disobedience. Did you walk in what you know? Did you serve and embrace the mission with pure motives and out of a heart for God? Because it will be tested. 
That's a, that's a challenge to the maturity day, to check your heart. Because on the outside, you're like, yeah, you know, on the outside, you, you seem to be walking in what you know. On the outside, you seem to be a very kind and loving person. And on the outside, you're serving and embrace the mission of God. But on the inside, your heart is full of selfishness and arrogance and pride. And that will be judged. And you'll be awarded by what remains. Big challenge. But here's what we like to do. We like to spiritually body shame people. You know, we like to judge people. <laughs> you don't read the Bible as much as me. You don't pray every hour. You don't, you don't, you know, uh, witness as much. as You don't do mission work. You, you're not, you know, volunteering 20 hours at church. We like to body, spiritually body shame people. And so when we do that, Paul says you're being dumb. You're being, it's futile. It's dangerous and it's unhealthy. And he starts to talk to us about how dumb it is to look down on people. And this is what we're going to end up with today. Just a few thoughts about this. This is not about not being accountable to people. It, remember, the entire letter to 1 Corinthians is a challenge to Christians to grow up, holding them accountable to areas of sin and disobedience in their life. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't shame them. He gives them grace. He shows that they are family. And then he points out some very serious issues. We're going to hit next week a very rated R issue that popped up in the church in chapter 5. It's one of the weirdest things to show up in a letter in the New Testament. So he's not a, afraid to address difficult areas of immaturity, but he never shames them. Okay? So this is why it's dumb to look down on people. Verse, six, six, uh, verse 16 of chapter 3, he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves, plural, you together are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your, plural, midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, that's plural, God will destroy that person, singular. For God's temple is sacred, and you together, plural, are that temple. Now, we like to use this verse to talk about how we need to exercise and eat right and be good to ourselves and not do, you know, not do dumb stuff, you know, to our body. Well, that's actually the use of, the, of, the, of this almost exact same phrase in chapter 6, verse 19. Here, it's different. Here, he says, you're not just the temple. He says, we are the temple. Together, we are the body of Jesus. If you're a part of the family of God, we together are the temple. And when you, a singular person, attacks or tears down the collective body of the temple of God, he says, you will be judged accordingly. Write this down. When we don't get along, we vandalize God's temple. We together are God's temple. People who slander and tear apart the body of Christ. Listen, God will hold you accountable. God takes this extremely seriously. Stop trashing the body of Christ. Stop trashing your church. Stop trashing the other church or the other place or the other people who are true followers of Jesus Christ. 
Stop. God will hold you accountable to that. This is not about holding people accountable to what the Bible says. This is about spiritually body shaming, looking down with no intention of helping or encouraging, just destroying. He says, if you destroy them, you're going to have to answer to me and I'll destroy you. God takes this serious. Write this down, number two. When we think we're superior, we deceive ourselves. Something will bless their heart. You know, when they grow up, they'll be just like me. They'll quote the verses that I quote, and they'll read the Bible as much as I read the Bible, and they'll pray with the confidence that I pray with. Bless their heart, they still smoke. Oh, did you hear that S word they just said? Bless their heart. You know, they're just, they ain't, you know, When they grow up, they'll be like me. This is what Paul says to that. He says, do not deceive yourselves if you think you're wise by the standards of this age. I'm smarter, I'm better, I'm more spiritual. Grading yourself by these standards. He says, you should become fools so that you can become wise. So then, verse 21, so then no more boasting about human leaders. Stop grading each other's spirituality and then condemning their lack of spirituality. We are to hold and challenge and walk with each other in accountability, but we're not to shame, look down, and belittle people. All right, I just have a question for you. We tend to become followers of people, but really, Paul says, we're just servants. Regardless of your feelings about this person, how many of you would think it would be pretty uh, interesting and you would show up if President Trump showed up at church next Sunday? Whether you like him or not, how many of you think that'd be interesting? Anybody? That'd be kind of interesting. You maybe want to see the President of the United States, regardless of his politics, whoever's in office. Man, if I get an opportunity to be in the, the presence of the most powerful leader of the world, Man, I think that's pretty, pretty awesome, right? Regardless of the politics, man, I would want a meeting. If I get invited to the president's Oval Office, regardless of how you feel about him, if I'm invited, man, I'm going. I want to meet this guy. I want to sit in the presence of, of someone who's, who's got this authority, right? Now, let me ask you another question. Would you be just as excited if the guy who says, hey, the guy who's speaking next Sunday is the guy who cleans the toilets in the White House? Who's coming? Well, if I'm, if I'm not busy, is he as good as Ted? <laughs> what if I said the guy who mows the lawn in the White House is going to be here. Yeah, that might be interesting. Yeah, But he's not the president, you know. See, you know what we tend to do? We tend to follow people for their power and their influence rather than their servanthood. This is what I think is interesting is Paul says, hey, guys, listen. We're just servants. We're just the toilet cleaners in the kingdom. We're just the guys mowing the spiritual lawns. We're just the ones cooking up the meals in the kitchen. I'm not Jesus, he says. We're just imperfect servants. Don't make much about us. Keep it about Jesus. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Then this is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Don't belittle Jesus by making it about a person. That's foolish. You're deceived. 
And then he goes on, verse 4, he says, my conscience is clear. And this is, this is the third reason why it's dumb to look down on people. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Here's why. He says, I know in front of you I've been a good boy. But that doesn't mean I'm innocent. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, our closets, and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Paul goes on to say how this applies uh, to them and why it's dumb to look down. Write this down. This is why you shouldn't spiritually shame people is that one day your closets and your motives will be exposed. Your secrets will be made known. While you're trying to expose and belittle and condemn somebody else's lack of immaturity, or lack of maturity rather, you like to beat your chest and look what, what I've done, what I'm doing, and Jesus says, hold on there. In Matthew 7, 2, Jesus says, you're going to be judged in the same way that you judge others. You might want to shut your mouth because one day your closet's flying wide open, brother. All those things that you think that you have had as a secret, Paul says, it will be exposed. I see this again and again. The more critical and negative Christians are, the more garbage they often have hidden. Have you ever noticed that? And it may take years before that closet to come out, uh, for, that, uh, for that door to be flung open, but it will come out. On a personal level, I notice how people like to complain about church. Well, they don't want people to know that they don't go to a small group. They don't want people to know that they've never been through living the way. They don't want people to know that they're not serving, but they will complain about every ministry in the church. I've also noticed that the people who are most critical about the finances in the church are people that don't give. But they don't think anybody knows that, and that nobody will ever know that. That's a sign of immaturity. And you know who does this? All of us. We all do this. Because some, for some reason, we think that our secrets will never be known. That our hidden motives will never be seen. Our lack of discipline will never be exposed. Here's the last one. He says, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from everyone else? Well, say, well, I can sing. I can teach. I can speak. I cook really good. I memorize verses. You know, I witness more. I really understand God's Bible, uh, the Word of God. Well, what makes you different? Okay, some of you guys have something different about you. And then he says, well, what do you have that you did not receive from God? And if you did receive it from God, which you did, he says, why do you boast as though you did not? Here's the last reason why it's dumb to look down on people. Because everything you take pride in, we ultimately received from God. Everything that you take pride in, your kids, your accomplishments, your career, you know, looking back and your abilities, your skill, all of that. Is from God anyhow. How can you be arrogant about something that you didn't even have the ability to give yourself? How can you brag about something God has done? 
You say, man, I can study real good. Well, who gave you that brain? Man, I, I have a good handle on money and finances. Who gave you that discernment? Man, I have the ability to kind of uh, to, to do artwork. Well, who gave you that skill? Man, I can get it in front of people and speak and put a presentation together. Who gave you that ability? You know, somebody say, well, I, I, I can, man, I'm a real disciplined person. I'm a healthy person. Well, who gave you the tenacity and the consistency to be able to get up every morning and do that? Well, it wasn't you. It was the Lord. Anything that you take pride in is ultimately something that comes from God. So how can you be arrogant about it? So Paul says, stop. Stop being so immature. What does God ask you to do? Simple. Embrace your role in the family. Obey what you know to do. And get along with and love others. He says, if you can do this, then you're going to build a foundation that is made of gold and silver and precious stones that will survive the fire. And you, mature Christian, will be rewarded for that. Next week, we're going to dive into some of the more difficult issues that Corinth was dealing with. And the first one is actually not for children. So you might want to put your kids in kids' church for sure next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that even though sometimes we're, we act like babies, you're still good to us. And God, even though sometimes we act like infants and we got sneaky diapers in this room, God, you're faithful to mature us and grow us. Right now, some of you guys are sitting here and you know exactly what you're supposed to do in your marriage. You know exactly what you're supposed to do in that relationship with that guy or that girl. You know exactly what you're supposed to be doing with your children right now. You know exactly God is telling you right now what you're supposed to be doing at work. You know what you're supposed to be doing. It's time to grow up. It's time to be mature. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. It's time to work on that love attitude of yours and stop being a jerk. It's time to embrace your role in the kingdom of God, in this local church, and in the mission work around us. It's time to grow up. God, thank you that even when we're kids, you have forgiveness for us. If you're here right now and you need the forgiveness of God and you know you've been disobedient in an area, just take a moment to say, God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, thank you for your cross that washes away my stupidity. Help me to be a grown-up in Jesus. God, I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.